If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. There's just got to be tons and millions of really bright, smart, energetic young people there that if they can be empowered this way, I think this is a place where we can make the most difference in the world. So many people talk about this stuff. Paul, Diana, Africa VR campus, the people where they're actually in the headsets doing it. Africa VR will only succeed if more people try out this kind of way of connecting with other people. Give VR a shot. Dr. Tom Nichol knows the power of VR to foster human connections and create positive social change. Tom, whose professional titles include Chief Visionary at Seattle-based MyVR Projects, is also the co-founder and associate director of Nairobi-based Africa VR Campus and Center. And he is instrumental in implementing virtual reality in tandem with Africa VR Campus and Center innovators Paul Simon Wayaki and Diana Jerry to give talented students opportunities for education and a better future. Tom, on Medium, you say that you have a black belt in learning. Uh Along with your passion for learning and your passion for technology, how did virtual reality come into the mix for you? Uh, Boy, you took me by surprise with that one. But it has just been the greatest medium for learning, you know, that I've ever come across. I've just always been, uh, you know, just a learning oriented person. And that is what I have a PhD in, literally instructional technology. But the way that we can remember the early excitement of the Internet, you know, in in the 90s, how it just expanded our horizons to access information and people through, you know, Usenet and stuff like that. It was just really the excitement of learning. And VR, I think, is all that with another level of human, you know, connection added to it. So, yeah. Tom shared the story of his own introduction to hosting events in VR. My VR career began in Cambodia, making 360 videos of Khmer artists going around the country playing music that had been suppressed for two generations due to the genocide. And then I was bringing that back to fundraising type of events among the Cambodian diaspora and other communities in North America. I'd been doing that for about four years, and I was just about to get on the plane to go back again in March 2020 when the world changed. And so instead, I stayed where I am and went into VR and started creating events. We actually, in 2021, we ran seven live events from Phnom Penh. All my friends there are musicians, and they gathered together in a studio, played music, you know, told stories. It went live out of the internet from Phnom Penh to VR and into a, an auditorium where we had a whole crowd of people watching their music. Would you tell me the story, please, of co-founding the Africa VR Campus and Center? really put the emphasis on the co as I know you've spoken with my colleague, Paul Simon, Waiaki Wahinga, and he's really the founder, he and his wife, Diana. But I did, here's the story of me meeting him because it's a VR story. And it's worth telling because so many people still don't quite get the idea that VR is social, that the way that you and I are defeating distance right now by connecting and having a talk one of the main draws of VR, and actually we feel in VR that we're in the same place together when we're connected there. That makes a difference. It makes, in fact, there's a lot of research that shows it makes a difference. So just to understand that VR has that social aspect and back, you know, it got a real push into 
the mainstream is still kind of a niche thing, but early in the pandemic, March, April 2020, and then it's hard to remember the George Floyd death, and the world was kind of connected for a while there. I was actually hosting events in VR where people could just come and say what they needed to say, and Paul walked in and said, I want to be part of this conversation. That's the first time I met Paul. And we could do that in VR. He could walk into a room, went right up to the front. I want to be part of this conversation, too, and talked about citizens and violence and police and what we could do to reform things in Kenya. I ended up, we were just so excited to meet each other. And, of course, we then got on Zoom like you and I are now, showed me the inside of his house, introduced me to his wife and kids and you know all that kind of stuff. But that was where I first met him. And he had already been in VR, but this helped give him the idea that he could just start his show and start telling tales from Africa and things like that. So it was around that event. And it really does say how human connections get made in VR. He made the connection. He started his show. And then what were the next steps towards what you have today? Well, you know, the next step on the Africa VR campus and center, also, it's the kind of person that Paul is. And, you know, a lot of times we have these good ideas and then we just have to wait and, you know, find someone who can make our dreams come true by supplying funding or whatever it is. But he's just never let that get in his way. So really, just with his own couple of headsets that he could, you know, get. It's not even easy to get a VR headset in Africa. There's no Best Buy. He has to know the import-export world and not get taken advantage of and get that equipment out of his own hide in the first place. And then he would just take it to schools. He would, you know, he has a good reputation around there. People know him as a community leader. And if he said he wanted to bring some new technology into a local school, show the kids, most teachers wouldn't take a chance, but some would say, sure, bring it in, Paul. That was the next step for him, taking it out, going Going on the road with a little bit that he had, and I'll let you ask the next question. But that was that was pretty inspiring because he would you know make videos every place he went to. That's hard to do to be out there showing VR in a new situation out in the sometimes kind of the middle of nowhere. Kids were so excited and to have the presence of mind to record it some too, so we could put it up on YouTube. Other people could see he was really doing this. You know, yeah. So you or me going out there and making videos is oh well no big deal. But when you talk about Kenya. And not always having connectivity. And very and not the middle class downtown Nairobi either. I mean, we're talking villages and schools that are kind of, you know, dusty and kind of off the grid, the way we more imagine most of the people actually in a lot of parts of Africa living. And so, you know, they have phones and stuff like that, but to be able to put a headset on someone coming to their school, put that on, see the possibilities, see, you know, the whole world. Sometimes they would take me to Paris or sometimes he'd show them the solar system or just that initial sense of awe and what's possible that he would bring out to them. How did it grow from there? Now you have a network and I have counted nine different programs, nine different forks of that network, which are amazing. A lot of education, even water purification. How do you get there from just going out to the schools with a couple of headsets? Yeah. So I guess someone else is going to have to write the real story, but I know what happened next was that a cohort of young women, high school age women started to gather, particularly around Paul's wife, Diana, who were really close together on this. It's really quite inspiring. And so instead of, I believe they, Paul still goes out to schools some, 
But now a cohort is kind of gathered around both of them. They have made things in VR together as a group and entered them in competitions. You know, there's now the United Nations is always having competitions to bring awareness to their sustainable development goals and having young people make VR worlds that help that awareness. That's part of it. And the Young people that Paul and Diana are working with actually did that, and they've entered other competitions and won prizes, so now they have six laptops, and meanwhile, I've gotten a couple more headsets, and it, it just kind of grows organically that way, and I don't know what's next. We, I think the next step, I know what Paul's dream is when we say Africa VR Center campus, you imagine a physical place. Right now, honestly, the Africa VR Center and campus is where Paul and Diana takes it. If it goes out to school, that's where it is. Now, most of their meetings are either in a community place or in their house. But hopefully, there'll be a step where they can have a place. You know, we'll see. That takes next level of of support and whatnot. But right now, I think the world is finding out what they're doing. And I hope the next step is connecting this cohort of young people with other groups of young people at schools that, you know, maybe have a science teacher that wants to try, you know, who knows? It's I think it's connecting around the world among young people. That's the next step I'd like to sort of help with. Tell me, please, about your role in this. I understand that you helped the connectivity. Yeah. Well, so I've always been a media guy and I like to use media. You can use it for a lot of ways. You can make art, you can make beautiful things and all those things that we look at and go, wow. But another thing I like to use it for is just to bring people together. And that's what I've spent a lot of time during, you know, the last four years doing was finding out this. I liken where we are in in VR now, kind of to the, you know, early 1950s of television. We don't they didn't know then what the programming was going to look like. They had to experiment with this and try old stuff from the past and new things, you know. And so that's what Paul is trying to do. And I've been trying to do some on my own, too. And most of what I like to do, let me give you one quick example, would be, you know, you think of street art as something that, you know, it's, a lot of people are interested in street art. There's a lot of themes that touches on marginalized people getting a voice. But also we know now it's become, to a certain extent, accepted and Banksy's a millionaire. So it's a it's an interesting subject. And it's possible to recreate street art. You can just go to Google Street View, download the 360 videos and JPEGs, make that place in VR. So you could be standing on a corner in London, looking at that Banksy street art, feel that you're really there where it's supposed to be. That's interesting. What's the most interesting to me is to create an event around it. The fact that it's in VR means there could be people of different ages, different parts of the world who would never normally be together at an event. Look at that thing together and then let's talk about it. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? So that's the kind of event I like to do. That's what Paul does in Tales of Africa, too. He'll always start the ball rolling, but then try to get everybody that comes to react. We all get to you know, hear how we all feel about these things. That, that to me, is the unbelievable superpower of VR. Suppose that we have somebody listening who isn't all that technical, and you've talked about downloading pictures and creating an event. Let's say a teacher wants to do that. Yeah. How do we do that when they're not very technical? I've been in from the beginning of teachers using technology. That was kind of what that instructional technology stuff was about. And there was a there was actually a time when if a teacher could put their syllabus up on the internet, they were the internet guru of the school, you know? And uh, <laughs> it wasn't all that long ago, to tell the truth. And so we'll see. This is now like when teachers started the first ones in the classroom using those learning management systems like Moodle or whichever one, you know, they were using. And some teachers ended up making a career out of being the teacher that knows how to use those systems. And I I think it'll go that way now. 
I think probably it's easier to experiment in charter schools. My guess is that it'll be right now, whether it's a school, whether it's a corporation, whoever it is, it's kind of someone who the bug bites them. It's still a little bit of an early adopter thing. And they got to really think VR is neat. There's something special about it. I like to play with it in the evening. And wow, maybe there's a way it could be used in my job. And so maybe if a charter school had someone like that, then I would see them very easily. You don't need a grant. You don't need a bunch of money. You just get a couple headsets together. You could easily get a couple of young people from a school in Virginia meeting at a VR world with a couple of people from Paul and Diana's Africa VR campus, not to mention our friend Motown Girl, who's got a group of now 120 young people in a part of Ghana that's maybe even, you know, the next step into, she's really facing those questions of building a, a place now. So I think the people who are open to using new technology, connecting young people all around the world, they're there. I think now is the time when we just start, you know, connecting them up. Coming back to the Africa VR campus and center, what's the vision, the ultimate vision? We are teaching these young people, which is great, in virtual reality. If everything goes just as you would like it to, what are they going to have for future and for careers? Well, you know, one of the other things about VR is that we are really are finding this is the only new territory that isn't occupied by anybody. You know, every place on earth, if you try to go there, someone else is already there. It's been that way for a while, and it's created a lot of problems the way we've done that. But you can just make a new place in, I haven't used the M word, and neither did you, because the word metaverse has taken on some baggage. But I think you and I are in the metaverse right now. The kind of electronic network that connects us, that got more capacity, you know, in the 90s, like I said, when the internet came along and we've learned about the power of Zoom, VR just as Mark Zuckerberg, I believe correctly said, takes that, you know, to another level. And what I really hope is that I know that there will be lots of forces that use this capability and to make lots of money out of it. And that's, you know, seems to be a force in the world. And I, I'm not doing about that, but I want there to be other values also recognized. You know, people put in lots of hours out of love, you know, love and wanting to help out and, you know, make the world a little bit of a better place is, is really just as much of a motivator as money. We need both of them. So I hope in the world that we're building, there's room for human values, for the joy that I get by playing a small role and, and helping people, you know, all over the world, especially young people, get access to technology and possibilities that, you know, they might not have otherwise. But once we get together, once we work together on projects and have the kind of intimate connection that you can like this, but also in VR, we see that the differences between us aren't that great, you know. And so I also think it's a, a movement and direction of peace. As we try to apply the power of love versus the love of power in the metaverse and maybe make a little of this money to give to a young woman who thinks a dollar is a whole lot of money, what are some of the means we can do that? And so for sure, I honor both. And it's really easy. You know, our AfricaVR.org has a place where you can give money and, and we can always use it. And we don't have any administrative overhead that goes any other place. But I really mean it, though, when I say that Africa VR will only succeed if more people try out this kind of way of connecting with other people. You know, give it a shot. Give VR a shot. It continues to surprise me, given how much just it's expanded me as a person, how much I've found, you know, in my VR experience. I just don't see why everyone doesn't do it. But yeah, I guess that's what everybody who's got a hobby, that's what every knitter feels. Why isn't everybody knitting, you know? But 
If anything, if the idea of being able to relate in any way to people around the world, young or old people, as a mentor, as an educator, say everybody's got one sermon in them, you know, you just like to give one presentation about something that someone might appreciate somewhere. So it's people sort of putting a little skin in the game, you know, get a headset, learn something about the metaverse, and then be part of what we're doing. Join that kind of connection that we're trying to do would be the greatest. Money's always great too, but it, it will just stay the way we are unless this kind of way of relating to each other becomes more of a thing. So we're trying to grow VR. How do people be part of what you're doing in addition to giving money? What do you need? Yeah, well, so I really mean we'd, we'd love you to join us in the metaverse. It is possible the main social VR app, as they call it, and even the word VR, you could contend about what it means. There are people that will look at an app and it has a spatial quality to it, and that's considered VR. So people can join us, can see what Paul's event is about. It's on, you know, Thursdays and time and time zone. And if they have the Engage app downloaded onto their phone, they can experience it, not in that fully immersive way, but get the sense of what's going on. So it's a nice kind of tone the water that can be done. You know, in our future, maybe we'll even be streaming our things out to YouTube and Facebook and things like that. But but for people who kind of want to get into it, I think a headset's a great investment. You know, Quest 2s are going to be good for a long time. And, and the Quest, the new Quest 3 doesn't cost all that much. I won't get, you know, money means different things to different people. But in terms of the hours of use, getting a headset then means most of the places where we meet up and Paul does his tales from Africa and talks about the Africa VR Center campus. I do some of the events I do on street art. And so once you've done that initial investment and learned how to get around, you find things, communities, people, events you like to go to. And, you know, that's how it goes. And that's what I hope people will do. I hope from hearing this, someone will say, well, I'll go try that. And they'll show up at our Africa VR event and say, I heard about you on Dot's podcast. So any specific times for your street art events as well? Well, that's about to change. <laughs> I'm involved in other organizations that are working to use VR for social good. Probably, so I'm probably going to be coming back very soon. I'll just say like Wednesday, late afternoon, early evenings, because like what time zone am I talking to, talking at? And it's always tough. You want to go all around the world, but I'll just say Wednesday midday in Engage, I'll be creating environments so you can feel you're looking at street art on location, and then hear how other people around the world react to it. It's really fun. Dr. Tom Nickel, and they can probably find you very easily by looking for you on EngageVR.io. Do I have that correctly? Yes, that sounds right. That sounds good. There, Engage is not only one of the applications that lets us bring in pictures and videos and things like that, but also has an events calendar. So as soon as you enter that app, there's a thing right there that says what's going on right now, and I think the regular ongoing events will be shown, and you click and enter. One obstacle which Tom sees to widespread adoption of VR is an initial resistance to the technology. Sometimes I'll say to people, you know, why don't you just try VR? And they'll say, no, I'm really into gardening. And so what I don't want to be critical. I want, I'm not trying to stop you from gardening. You know, maybe some of the times when you're not gardening, you know, just check it out. And maybe there's a, a slight tendency to deprecate relationships, you know, that haven't been in the quote unquote. I try not to use the word real world. I think what we're doing right now is real. I think whenever we bring our presence, ourself, to a situation, no matter where it is, that's real. So the relationship that I have with Paul, when I wake up in the morning and I think about what I'm going to do that day, I, I think about him just like he's a person in my life, you know, like my wife is, or and the people that live on the street. So uh, I think the it's possible to just consider this 
layer of human connection that we're building is just kind of a continuum of ways that we work together and, and relate to each other. And if nothing else, just to have Paul be my close friend is worth the whole thing. So, What has been one of your absolute best experiences so far as co-founder of the Africa VR Campus and Center? It's actually a really easy one. So I'm a, a semi-old guy and just recently had my birthday. And I'm also one of my oldest friends in the world, a guy named Frank White, is the guy who coined the term the overview effect based on interviews with many astronauts and the feeling that they had. This came out back in the 1980s. Now the idea of seeing Earth from space is a little bit more commonplace. It's kind of a known term. And there are overview effect worlds built in VR. So, you know, people are getting into space and having that experience. Astronauts today still talk about how amazing it is, but it's possible to do it in VR. And it's a pretty profound experience, especially if you do it with people from around the world. So on my birthday, not too many weeks ago, all of the young women in, and Paul and Diana in the group there in Nairobi met me at the overview effect and we kind of had that experience of seeing the earth from space and seeing the sunrise there over the earth. And, and then they sang me happy birthday. So that was pretty moving. What a fantastic way to celebrate a birthday. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday a little late. I'll dispense with the singing. I don't want to frighten you. <laughs> What's coming up for Africa VR Campus and Center? What are some of the projects you're really excited about that are going to happen in the next, let's say, six months or so? Well, I think it's a bunch of things. I think the next logical step in growth is, again, what I mentioned, I think our friend Motown Girl has done. The next logical step is to scale up in a way to be able to have more young people that we're working with. But that can only happen by having just the right kind of other figures, I, you know, mentor, whatever word, teacher, learning partner that you want to use. So I think that some recruiting will happen by Paul and Diana. Some people will fall into our laps. Maybe someone will fall into our laps as a result of this podcast. But I think that we'll end up expanding the kind of core network that Paul and Diana are working with by having more people having regular ongoing relationships in VR. That's going to be the price of it. That's what differentiates it. So many people talk about this stuff. Paul and Diana, the Africa VR campus, the people where they're actually in it in the headsets doing it. So I think that's the next step is to get more people involved with us. And then I really, I hope we can find, and we were hoping with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals Project that we were trying to get more teams around Africa, more of a pan-Africa kind of network. And we, Paul does now know who are some of the really open to using new technologies, young people, whatnot. So I hope there can be more networking of people like what Paul and Diane are doing in Nairobi and other parts of Africa too. So that was a couple of things off the top of my head. That'll be exciting to see. Oh, uh, to be part of an, I'm just so lucky I get to even see it in any way. And you know, yeah. Let's give links, your YouTube channel and anything else you'd like people to know before I say goodbye. I think the one AfricaVR.org, pretty easy to remember. Just put a VR at the end of Africa and add the .org. And then I think the links will all be found there. Again, that's AfricaVR.org. Final question is the signature question for my podcast. If people can only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from the work you're doing? It's hard to not be in cliches in a short period of time. If you've read my medium things, you know that actually one of the main things that I've even brought up in this podcast so far that I do in VR is to create a space for people to be able to talk about their death anxieties and to be able to talk about their loss. 
we're in a situation where those just get layered and layered and layered, and it gets very difficult to, to get out from under. For four years now, I've been doing weekly drop-in meetups, one in the morning, one in the evening, where people talk about death, people talk about loss. And so how that translates to your question is that I'm a cancer survivor. I've been a hospice volunteer. I have some experience as a human being in death and loss, but I'm not certified. I think we're in a time of serious peer support need. I'm a believer in licensed professionals. I think they have an important role to play. But a lot of the needs that we have now for connection with other people, for help getting through some of the really, you know, challenging times ahead, it's going to have to be done with peers. And so, you know, if you think you have a little bit of ability to, you know, to help others get through tough times, and I thought, I know one thing I can do. I can create a space where if people feel like they want to talk about death, I know I can do that. I have a co-host, Ryan Astheimer, who's been doing it with me. Two of us every Tuesday morning, Pacific time, <laughs> I talk about death. And boy, you know what that's done. But my answer to your question is that was following my instinct, following my heart, doing something that I knew I could do responsibly, even if the official authorities didn't authorize me to do it. So, because that's where we are right now in VR. That's a VR story. It's still the, you know, we're, we're learning right now. And so there's got to be a little bit of this, just go out there and try it. And the events that you are hosting, I'm going to assume are also in Engage VR and people will find them by typing in your name. The most popular social VR platform, and we've been talking about the social aspects of VR, is called VR Chat. And that one, unfortunately, doesn't have an easy events calendar or whatnot. It's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people there at all times. That's where my death Q&A is. Some of these VR platforms don't make it that easy to find you, I'm just saying. But specifically speaking, Tuesday morning, my death Q&A event with Ryan Astheimer and me is, is in VR chat. We are in a group. VR chat's divided into groups called Trip. Trip is a meditation app. And Trip also creates VR spaces to be able to do meditation in together. It's one of the other kind of things I do in VR. So we're under the umbrella of Trip. And if someone searches for Trip, they'll probably make it to my death Q&A. The saying goodbye loss event is in Engage, and that's Tuesday evenings. You know, thanks for asking. It's been quite a thing to be doing. Um, thank you for your time today. Well, it's just a pleasure to talk about it. And thanks for your interest in this. I, a lot of people that are, you know, journalists and really covering stories don't put on the headsets and try it out like I understand you have too. So I really dig that you've done that too. Dot. Hope I see you in the metaverse sometime soon. You and I have been listening to Dr. Tom Nickel, Chief Visionary at MyVR Projects, Executive Director for Continuing Education at Alliant International University, and co-founder, associate director at Nairobi-based Africa VR Campus and Center. Find out more about the work of Africa VR Campus and Center at africavr.org and come be a part of the positive change. You can hear founder Paul Simon Wayaki's Tales from Africa every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Engage VR. Also plan on checking out the meetings of XR Girls Africa led by associate director Diana Jerry. XR Girls Africa meetings happen the first and last Wednesday of every month. The initial meetings are at 6 a.m. Pacific in Engage, but there is also a rebroadcast, 11 a.m. Pacific Sunday mornings after each meeting. And last but absolutely not least, watch for Tom's art events and death Q&A on VRChat. As he mentioned, if you go into VRChat and type TRIP, T-R-I-P-P, the information should come right up. Also, you'll find Tom's weekly sessions on loss 
entitled Saying Goodbye on Engage VR. The next one is listed on Tuesday evening, 7 p.m. Pacific on March 5th. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. Be sure you subscribe. It's free by clicking the link on our website. Our music is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.